to let you guys know that Mar Marsha picked the perfect songs. <laughs> they were just so good, having taken the deep dive into this particular uh, portion of scripture, um, I can say that Marsha picked the perfect songs <laughs> because it was like she's, she's connected a lot of dots in those songs. And uh, so thank you, Marsha. Wonderful. All right. Uh, and the last song that we sang, so I'm going to start there, was Amazing Grace. And uh, this chapter be starts to, uh, has this effect of getting in, as some people say, getting up in your grill, they say. In other words, that means it gets in your face. And it gets in your face with this reality. That we have weird definitions of what we think grace is. And we, we're not the only ones. Back in, I'm going to tell you the story of Martin Luther today. And back in his day, everybody didn't understand grace. Everybody thought you had to earn it which is the opposite of the definition of grace, isn't it? So anyway, it chained them up. And I think in some sense, it still keeps us all chained up today too in our understanding of grace, of, uh, of what Jesus did for us, what it means. And so this gem, the diamond of the Bible is what we're gonna look at today. And it is, there is no condemnation, no condemnation and exactly what that means for all of us. So, Lord, please get me out of the way. You know what you want to say. Use my mouth, use my mind. Say it, oh God, and let my sisters in Christ be fed by your word. All right, before we go forwards, I always like to back up. And here's the reason why. Because, uh, it, I'll give you a little picture, uh, outside, uh, we were at one time, when we first moved into our house, we were cutting down trees. There was one particular tree that was really, really, really hard to cut down. Chainsaws could practically not get through it. It was, it, it was incredibly hard to break this tree apart in any way. And later on, someone explained to me why. It's the sweet gum tree. Have any of you guys ever tried to saw or, or chop a sweet gum tree? It's because of the way it's put together. The fibers of the tree are interlocked, unlike other trees. The, it's, it's amazing. Well, the scripture is the same way, and this letter is like that. It's locked together. And you can't section it off and think you're going to understand it. You have to go back a little bit and then go forwards. So we're going to go back a little bit, and we're going to go back a little bit in not just the scripture, but the history of this scripture to make it clear what's going on here, what Paul is trying to do. So the backstory to Romans, just a little tiny bit. In AD 49, the emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome, and he expelled them because they were constantly rioting and because of disputes within the Jewish community over this cult. They called it the cult of Christus, which is Latin, or Christos, which is Greek, or Christ, which is English. So it was the Christians that were disturbing them greatly in their community. And during that interval of time when they were all expelled, the Gentiles became the leader of the Christian church in Rome. 
Then Claudius died in AD 54, and the Jews all came back to Rome, including the Christian Jews. But the church had changed, and the body of believers were now culturally divided. Struggles ensued surrounding that issue. The Jewish Christians uh, felt superior to the Gentile Christians because God made the Mosaic Covenant with them. He gave them the law. And, the sacred, and it's the sacred, holy law of the holy God. So step aside, Gentiles. We're back. And we've got seniority here. So Paul has to help them understand that it's the Mosaic, the Mosaic Covenant doesn't, doesn't help them much now. It helped them in the beginning, and now they need to enter into the New Covenant. And the Jewish Christians at that time didn't understand that. So that's why we're going on and on about the law, okay, in this book as he's trying to help them. And don't forget, he's never met these people. That's what I think is so amazing. He never met these people when he's writing this. So Paul sets about first to explain to them, using their understanding of the Mosaic Covenant, that salvation in Christ is offered to all, he says, to Jew and Gentile, but it's not based on their heritage or their standing in the law or toward the law, but it's based on the sacrifice provided by God through his son Jesus' death and resurrection. And furthermore, he tells them, real Jews are those whose hearts are right with God. And the sign of the circumcision that they, it's so important to them because it declares them to be the people of God. Well, he tells them, that a true circumcision is a change of heart produced by the Holy Spirit. And that person seeks praise not from, uh, seeks praise from God, but not from people. Oh, whoa! What a shock that must have been to the Jewish Christians when they heard this, because it must have practically broken their brains. Try to imagine being trained since birth in this one way of thinking, and then, right? Explosion. Because it put all the believers, Jews and Gentiles, on the same playing field. It's level. It's a level playing field. They're all together. They are all new creatures. Not Jew or Gentile. They are new creatures in Christ. In Christ. Paul introduces this new concept of being in Christ at the end of chapter 6. It's the key to understanding everything that he tells them in the rest of the letter to the church in Rome. What does he mean when he tells them that they are in Christ? Well, I can't tell you that today because that's for another teacher on another day. <laughs> but I can give you some of the benefits that come from being in Christ. One, and we're, gonna, we're really going to go in this next week, which I'm also teaching. In Christ, we're adopted into God's family. And any of you that have uh, any association with adoption or understand that, you know what it means. You know what it means to those who are adopted. 
And in Christ, we are accepted by God. And, one more, approved by God. That's huge. Um, in Christ, we experience the eternal and unbreakable love of God. Can't be broken. You can't make him not love you. Sorry. No matter how hard you try. And best of all, most important of all, in Christ, we're justified, which means we're made righteous. And we're sanctified, which means we're made holy in the sight of our holy God. When he looks on us, he sees his son because in Christ, we're not condemned. And now we arrive with chapter 8, which begins with these words. There is now, right now, and in the future, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This little phrase is the key that unlocks the prison door for us. And until we embrace this and really get it and know it and walk in the truth of it, we struggle. And we struggle in a huge way. You, you most likely heard that someone say, would say, um, whenever we find the word therefore in the scripture, we need to ask ourselves, you've heard this, right? What is the word therefore? Therefore? <laughs> in other words, what preceded this word? So that's why we're going to back up again, just a little tiny bit, into verse 14 of chapter 7. That's where Paul says, the trouble is not with the law, the trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And then he continues in verse 18 and he says, I want to do what is right, and this is key, but I can't. The word can't means I'm not able. I don't have the power. I cannot. Um, just think about a time when you tried to get someone to do something, but they were not able to do it. They just couldn't do it. Well, that's Paul's situation that he's trying to describe. So in verse 18, he says, or he said that. Now, verse 23. The reason is, because there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. In my mind, I want to do this. I really want to do this. But this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. I've heard somebody call it indwelling sin. And he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I think uh, that our song said that. My chains, how does it go, you guys? My chains have gone. I've been set free. So, because of Paul's sinful nature, which he calls the flesh, every time he's talking about the flesh, don't, I hope you'll not go into that uh, new age kind of thinking about, about the spirit world. Is, that's like modern day Gnosticism. That's really what it is. And that's not he and the flesh. Got to get out of this. No, no, no. He's talking about the sinful nature. He's talking about the indwelling sin that's inside of you. 
he says, uh, he says because of that, it's, he says the, uh, that we are subsequently, we, all of us, are a slave to sin. However, and this is what's so important, there's no condemnation for us. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who belong to him. Next week we'll talk about belonging and adoption and all of that. Well, this brings me to the story of the conversion of the great reformer of the church, Martin Luther, because if there was ever anybody I read about who engaged in this struggle with enslavement to sin, it was him. His soul, like Paul's, cried out, who will free me? And he did this until he was 32, and he was 18 when he started down this road of, of struggle. So he was a deeply religious person from his youth on, but he carried this question around in his heart. He said, by the way, y'all know who Martin Luther is, right? I don't have to go there. Okay, good, good. Okay, he said, oh, when for once shall I become holy and do enough in order to receive the grace of God? Now, what do you hear in that, in that question? Where is he going in the weeds there? Where? I'll read it again. Oh, when for once shall I become holy and do enough in order to receive the grace of God? Where is it? Yeah, do enough. And as I'm going through this story with him, think about yourself. Where are you caught up somewhere in your life that you just feel like you've got to do more, that you haven't done enough to receive God's grace? Well, why would he think that God's grace was something he could merit? Well, it was that he was taught this. He was taught this during his Roman Catholic upbringing. And that was the whole church. Every church was Roman Catholic in Martin Luther's day. The church taught that the wrath of God can only be propitiated by a person's good works, by holy living. So Martin Luther's picture of God was that of an angry judge. A lot of people think of God that way. They do. Those who've been raised in churches, they do think that. Um, so he saw this picture every Sunday as a boy when, uh, he, when he went to church because there was a stained glass window and Christ was painted in the stained glass window the way that John described him in his vision in Revelation. He had a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth and Martin Luther thought that that's what he was going to used to deal with him. So he tried to rack up merit, as did a lot of others, by fasting and praying and mortifying his flesh by starving himself and by sleeping without blankets. And later, after he became a Christian, not just a religious person, he said, I was a good monk. And I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out 
If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. He was that <laughs> desirous of making himself holy so that he would be accepted by God. Eventually, he transferred to a monastery in Wittenberg. I'm, you know, I'm skipping over tons of the story. I'm just giving you the bones here. And here is where his breakthrough came. He had to confess all of his sins to a confessor who would then grant him absolution. And this meant that the confessor would declare that his sins were forgiven after he confessed every single one of them. His confessor was Johann von Staupitz, who was the vicar of his Augustinian order. And so Luther would go to him and confess daily. And sometimes he would confess for hours, like six hours, I think I read, because he was trying to remember every little sin, which of course he would, because he then committed that day. And then his confessor grew weary. And he goes, he said, we've got to talk. So he tried, he tried. But Luther, ears closed. And I think that's half the time is, you know, Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear. Step number one, ears. You gotta have them. Who gives them to you? The Holy Spirit of the living God. That's who. Well, eventually Luther was on the faculty of the University of Wittenberg and he lectured on Romans and Psalms. And he read Romans in preparation for those lectures. And when he did, the light began to dawn on him that people were saved by grace through faith in Jesus, apart from any human efforts. So he reflected on this time and he said, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's words in Romans 1.17, where Paul says, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. I saw the difference eventually. I had to sink in. I had to absorb it. And his ears had to slowly open up. And he says, the law is one thing, but the gospel is another. I broke through as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God. And I now began to regard the righteousness of God as my dearest and most comforting word. So that this expression of Paul's became to me, in very truth, a gate to paradise. Luther began to understand God's righteousness is not earned. It's given to us. It's commuted. It's conferred. It's given to us by God through the saving work of his son. The price for our sins is paid. We don't earn God's grace. It's a gift. We can no more purify ourselves after salvation than before. Only God can purify a soul. Verse 10 of this chapter. You have been made right with God. The spirit you've been made, made. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Verse 12. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You, you're not under its authority. You don't have to obey it. You don't have to do it anymore. You, you can put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. How? By a new power 
that lives in you now. The power of God himself, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you. It was true for Martin Luther, who spread the great news of the gospel and brought about the reforming of the church. And by this time, the church had strayed very far from the roots of the gospel. And it's true for you and I. And that's why Paul says, in his, as he answered this cry, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He answers his own question and he says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we know there's no condemnation, but we also know that there's still mistakes. And we know that there are consequences for our actions, but there is no condemnation. There's a big difference between, conscience, between consequences and condemnation. I mean, think about a couple of these. I'll just flip them out here. Peter, trying to cut off a guy's ear. He was aiming for the guy's head, but he lopped off his ear because, thank God, Peter's a fisherman and not a swordsman. Okay. Paul and Barnabas, they argued over John Mark. That argument split their friendship, and the tear in their relationship lasted years. They suffered the consequences of this sin. However, they didn't suffer condemnation. In conclusion, I want to leave you, and this is it. Finishing up. I've been a good girl. I've been short this time. <laughs> I always go too long. I want to leave you with these three crucial truths derived from verses 1 through 4. One, we are secure in Christ. We are eternally secure in Christ. Because God has declared our justification. He has given us his righteousness. And think of it like this. You and a team of your other people, let's say the people in this room, we're all mountain climbing. We're all on a steep, icy mountain. And our guide is in the front line of our mountain climbers. And we're making our way up this steep mountainside together. And then one person slips and slides backwards. And that person attached to another person slips too and slides backwards. But our guide stands firm, and we're attached to him. Don't forget, you're attached to him. And it's because he drove that spike deep into the ice of the mountain, and he's holding on to it. He is holding his ground, which enables the rest of us to regain our footing. And that's the picture of how we are bound in a living partnership to Jesus. We're bound to him. And because he stands, even though we may slip once in a while, we'll never perish. We'll never slip down and go into the cavern of that and to our death because we are bound to Christ. He stands and we're okay. He is firm and we're okay. And we are, then we walk in our our forgiveness and the life of the Spirit who picks us back up and sets us back on our, our journey. So, two, we are internally free from the control of sin. The Spirit of life, God's life, has set us free. Our mistakes no longer lead to death. They don't lead to death anymore. They have their consequences, 
We know that. We're living through those too. But death is not one of those consequences. Spiritual death is no longer a consequence. And verses 3 and 4, we are positionally righteous. We are always in the position of being in a right relationship with God because what the law could not accomplish, God did accomplish on behalf of his son. Well, as you can imagine, or you can guess, Luther became very evangelistic after his conversion, and he sought to bring his friends to Christ. And this is what he told one of his friends, and this is what I want to say to you too. Oh, my dear brother and sister, learn to know Christ and Christ crucified. Learn to sing to him a new song. You've got one. To despair of yourself means step away from yourself. It's not about you. And say to him, oh Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness and I am your sin. You have taken what is mine and given me what is yours. And then he says, you will find no peace but in him. Step away from yourself and your works and learning with what, and learning your education, all the stuff, credentials, with what love he opens his arms to you, taking on himself all your faults and giving you all of his righteousness. It's yours. Let's pray. Father God, help my sisters to walk in the newness of life. Help them to walk in the newness of the Holy Spirit. And when we stumble and when we fall, please help them to know that they're not condemned. But all the Holy Spirit will do is pick them up and set them back on the path. Brush off their knees. Help them to walk into the ways that they can seek forgiveness for those they've offended or, or deal with the offense that they have received and just keep walking as we walk home and as we please you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can you turn that off?